coming up next on Within Radio. Right Lighter Radio Spa with Elaine Marie. Within Radio, your self-transformational channel. Go within to find the answers you seek. Welcome to Write Lighter Radio Spa, the show where we write, relax, and renew. I'm Elaine Marie, and I'm so glad you tuned in today. During this program, you will meet author and psychotherapist Julie Tallard Johnson and author and seashell wisdom expert Michelle Hansen. I will guide you through a gratitude writing warm-up, a therapeutic seashell massage, and a pink meditation for self-love. Before we get started, here are your spa tools for the day. A pen or pencil, writing paper, a container of sea salt mixed with a few drops of either lavender or rose essential oil, a tablespoon of coconut oil, a bowl of clean water, a hand towel, and a smooth, clean seashell. You may also wish to light an aromatherapy candle and wear a fluffy white bathrobe. I'll let you get settled, and then I'll meet you by the healing pool for today's first spa treatment.
For your first spa treatment, let's exercise your writing muscles with a brief writing warm-up. Light Lines is a gratitude writing technique I created a few years ago to help open our hearts and raise our vibrations. The object is to free yourself from harmful thinking, speaking, and being by writing short positive reminders about how truly wonderful and blessed you are. Ready? Okay. On a sheet of paper, I'd like you to write and complete this sentence. Whenever I see my reflection in the mirror, I feel grateful that I am. Whenever I see my reflection in the mirror, I feel grateful that I am. You will write for a little over five minutes until the music ends, beginning now.
An affirmation is a positive statement that is repeated so often that you begin to believe it and to accept it as your truth. So for your final writing warm-up exercise, I'd like you to write an affirmation and begin the affirmation with the words, I am always, I am always, and we'll do this for another five minutes or so, beginning now.
I hope you enjoyed your writing warm-up. And now, let's take a short stroll to the meditation garden where you will meet my first guest, Julie Taller Johnson. Julie has been journaling since she was 16, and today she is a licensed psychotherapist who maintains a private counseling and consultation service in Wisconsin. She is also the author of 11 books, and she facilitates journaling classes and workshops for writers and others with creative and spiritual pursuits. Julie's website address is julietallardjohnson.com. I'm so glad we have this time together, Julie, because I finally have the opportunity to tell you how impressed I am by your book, Spiritual Journaling, Writing Your Way to Independence. It is filled with inspiring quotes and the personal writings of your students, many of which are extremely emotional and touching. It's also a manual, it's a workbook, a textbook, a meditation book, and from what I've read, there just is nothing else like it in the book publishing world. And I believe that every writer, every writer, whether they are a teenager or an adult, should have your book in their bookcase. I know that my copy is in a prominent spot right now, right between Writing Down the Bones and Bird by Bird. Oh, thank you so much. I I based that book on um, a class I've been teaching for over the last 20 years, and I would say it's you know one of my most popular classes, and I just created an online class called um, "In the Spirit of Writing" that's borrowed from that. Um, but yeah, so it's it's a way for people to ex- again explore on the page and off the page. And one of my themes in all my writing, in all my books, and, and definitely in spiritual journaling is that um, everything in our life becomes material. When we're, we have a spiritual practice and we have a writing practice, um, there's nothing that um, shows up in our life that can't be used either in, through the writing process or through our spiritual practice. And that's what I love. It. So it's like, and you know, things happen that are not comfortable or pleasant, um, that are confusing. Uh, disturbing, uh, among all the other beautiful, you know, parts of life, and that, so when they do show up, when that does show up on my path in my life, I go, okay, you know, I get to, I get to use this, this material. Right now I'm writing a novel, I mm. finish it, but I'm rewriting it for the hundredth time, <laughs> and um, so if something shows up in my life, it, 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 it's, it, help, it can help me write the novel, but it also, then I can bring my spiritual practice to it. And spiritual journaling brings those two things together, of course. It uses journaling and writing um, and meditation as a way to, you know, again, navigate um, the different occurrences in our life, both internal and external. So, Julie, you have been journaling since you were 16, was this also when you began your spiritual journey? What were some of the highlights of that journey? I probably didn't know that that's what it was, but I would say my spiritual journey began at around age of eight, and I was just really had the searching for, you know, how I belong, who am I, what's this all about kind of thing. And in my searching... I found journaling as, as a place to go and explore 
you know, these questions. And then I also um, discovered the I Ching, the ancient oracle, the Chinese oracle, the I Ching at the same time. So a lot of my early journaling was also consulting the I Ching and then what the questions were that I was asking and the response and how I understood the response. So it was spiritual without me really naming it as spiritual. So one of the highlights was encountering the I Ching, which um, is later in life as an adult I wrote the I Ching for teens because I found that to be both my journal and the I Ching as a way to really navigate and hold me in a safe way, you know, through throughout my young adult life, my teenage, you know, my teenage years and even my young adult life. I really didn't have other outside sources, although I did start my meditation practice around the same time. I was introduced to pot at the age of 12. And so at the age of 16, when I started my meditation practice, I gave up I even did a little ceremony, a personal ceremony of flushing the, uh, actually it was hash, <laughs> hashish down the toilet and haven't missed it since. And, um, you know, so that that stands out as a um, pivotal spiritual turning point when I started my meditation practice, my journaling, and, and consulted the I Ching all within that same year. And it was all, you know, to help me, too, to navigate what was a very dysfunctional family environment and even our culture you know there's so much drugs and alcohol abuse and use still of course but to help me navigate that and to help me make sense of my world and you know my journaling my teenage journaling is nothing profound Um, I was asking the same question you know pretty basic questions I wasn't always saying you know what's the meaning of my life I was like you know, I was more asking things along the lines of why did that just happen or why doesn't he like me or, you know, <laughs> and what to do, you know, with friendships and dealing with school and things like that. So it wasn't always asking the big questions, but all our little questions during our lifetime, both when we're young and as we're older now, are all those little questions point to the bigger questions. So I was on a spiritual quest. At the age of eight, I went to the uh, Lutheran church and uh, the minister was wonderful and uh, then at the age around 12 I had never been baptized so I wanted to, to cover all my bases I was a little bit worried about not being baptized if in fact what some people claim that if you're not baptized you you're in, you're in trouble spiritually in the afterlife and so I was young I was 12 I wanted to cover my bases so I went to him and learned about you know read the bible learned about the bible and that's that story where I go to get baptized, and um, he goes into the other room, and, and I'm really excited, like this is going to be a spiritual or religious experience, and he comes out, and he says, he looks at me, and I probably could read it on my face like I'm waiting for this holy blessing, and he looks at me smiling and says, Julie, it's, it's just tap water. And that was like one of the spiritual, it truly was a spiritual awakening. It was awakening into how tap water is holy water, and, and that... Um, you know, also the value of just um, acknowledgement through ceremony and ritual. The way you've presented it in your book, spiritual journaling can be the bright light at the end of a very dark tunnel. It helps us discover our true and fullest potential, not just as writers, but as human beings. So it's not all puppies and rainbows, as you might say. Yeah, I do say that. 
I say that to my students sometimes when they're sitting, when they're sitting down because sometimes people make assumptions about, you know, when they see the word spiritual or even journaling. And I say, well, I need to let you know, maybe it's a little bit of a warning. I'm not all about puppies and rainbows. Life is not all about puppies and rainbows. And it's not that we don't love puppies and rainbows. I do. Um, but it's like there's, there's um, some hard knocks going on. There's lots of suffering going on, too. And so it's like being able to really um, live our life fully with all the different circumstances in which within our life context as it is. We don't have to go to the ashram or we don't have to, you know, basically not leave our own life. We get to wake up. We get to become creative. We get to, you know, um, explore in the context of our life. And to me, that's so much more valuable than going, not that I love retreats and recommend retreats, but thinking that we have to go on these retreats or we have to go somewhere special to learn something. But if we can practice this or explore or write or journal within the context of our life, then it, we're really going to benefit because uh, when we can apply these techniques or these this awareness um, or these insights that we have as a result of our journaling or meditation to our daily life, well, that, that serves us and those around us much more than if we go have a big spiritual experience at some, you know, retreat, but we don't know how to integrate it into our daily life. So spiritual journaling really assists with that, really helps us take what we're learning and discovering for ourselves and bring it into our daily life. And that's why I talk sometimes about, sometimes we'll, we'll work things out on the page first, right? We'll explore things or write things or, and discover things on the page, and then it's, it's an easy bridge from what we discover from within on the page to what we use and do off the page. So a lot of times I'll, um, when people are writing I'll, um, in my spiritual journaling class, I'll help them ask themselves, you know, ask yourself, what's my takeaway from this? So if I'm journaling and I have this awareness or um, I'm consulting the I Ching and I have this awareness, what's your takeaway? What, and a takeaway is basically what are you going to take away and actually apply in your daily life? And that's where the change and that's where the transformation really takes place then. So, so okay, if I can take this off the page uh, into, you know, into my daily life, then I'm going to really feel the effects of transformation. And so that's a real important piece. And all my journaling prompts in the book and in my classes and, in, in, you know, when I do consulting are um, with that intention in mind. It's about, okay, we... We, we work a lot on the page, but then we take what we've discovered from the page off the page into our daily life. I love your writing prompts and spiritual journaling. And in your latest book, The Zero Point Agreement, How to Be Who You Already Are, you also offer a journaling prompt that I like very much, and that is, I am ready. I am ready. Why is it so important that writers align themselves with an attitude of readiness? So we're, we're all ready for something, and but there's so much resistance. We, when matter of fact, the more ready we are for a creative act or for writing our next piece or whatever it might be, the more resistance arises. So. Um, this particular writing prompt, also the technique, helps get beyond the resistance and open up to what we're truly ready for because we're, we are ready. 
Um, and so you repeat the line, I'm ready, I'm ready, I'm ready, and just write out what comes. And um, so, again, it's about not letting resistance uh, fool us, lie to us, and say we're not ready, and, and really tapping into that readiness that exists inside all the time. Well, you know, Julie, it seems that so many of us these days are seeking our purpose, our reason for being. But I've heard you say that the word purpose should be reinvented. Would you elaborate on that? Where I would begin is where the book begins, the Zero Point Agreement begins, is a willingness to give up the old myth that we have to search for meaning and instead uh, become the meaning maker. So we're, we're, basic, we're told and, and um, expected to be in this constant search mode for our purpose, for, for our meaning. And so to begin to switch that and say, you know, everything we need, everything we want, everything we have access to is available to us in the moment. And so if we're continually searching, we're, we, the search tends to be outside ourselves. And even if it's inside ourselves, like searching for enlightenment, we're, we're actually limiting what's available to us. So if we're searching for our purpose, we're um, not actually waking up the purpose that's right there in the moment or more readily available to us. So where I begin is giving up the the mindset, the myth that we have to be in search of something. Um, and I would give up the term purpose for you know ma- being a meaning maker, searching for a purpose to being a meaning maker. And of course that's what the whole book is about, really taking you from searching for meaning, searching for purpose, to having everything you need to be a meaning maker. I once heard a speaker say that instead of having a screensaver that depicts nature on our computer, that we should just step away from the computer and go outside. I know that one of the 11 principles of the Zero Point Agreement, Julie, is to rely on nature. So how can communing with nature help us become better writers? Communing with nature, being in nature, minimally, you know, some you know, 10 minutes a day, 15 minutes a day, will help us with everything. So if writing is one of the things that we want to create momentum on, go on to create some movement with, being in nature will help us do that because it helps us tap into our, this, the, our true nature, our really, our real true nature, isn't so much necessarily a spiritual concept. It's a natural concept. So when we spend time in nature, we tap into who we truly are. And if it's a writing, um, that writing will come forth. So basically, you know, spending time in nature, listening to nature, noticing nature, you really are tapping into your true nature because we're part of all this. We're not separate from it, but there's so many things that we do in our lifetime or that we're given that that strengthen the sense of separation from all this beauty, all this naturalness, 
all this wildness. And so when we're in it, we're reminded of our own beauty, our own naturalness, and we tap into um, whatever is unique, too, about us. I mean, every, there's, just because it's all connected and we're all one does not mean that we're not unique. We're all unique. So we also wake up what's unique in us when we spend time in nature. Anytime you need anything restored, take, grab your journal and a pen, go sit outside for a while, and just pay attention, and you'll just notice that you'll have something to write about. Sounds like good advice. There's a passage in the Zero Point Agreement where you write, In living life from your side, you not only find lasting happiness and satisfaction, but personal awakening. And through this personal awakening, we directly benefit all life on this planet. Julie, what steps would you suggest that we take to live our life consciously and purposefully? Well, I'm going to cheat and say, you know, get the book, The Zero Point Agreement, because truly here I'm approaching number, you know, number 59, 59th year of my life. Um, the, the, this book is an accumulation of all that, that what have I witnessed in others, in myself, and what I've gotten from the teachers in my life that show me and show us how to show up for our life and wake up in, again, in the context of our life, in the life that we're in. And if that means there's some things in our life that we don't want anymore, then, then we'll wake up to that and that we'll have the ability and momentum to um, change that if we want. But the whole idea is that all the techniques, all the offerings in the Zero Point Agreement book are about waking ourselves up in the context of the life that we're in. In some ways, it's nothing special. You know, there's nothing special you have to do. What you're going to discover is all believable because it's all you. You're going to just, it's about really knowing yourself more and more in all good ways. Um, again, it's not puppies and rainbows in terms of like, we, we deal with some things that are hard to deal with, health, you know, issues or aging or loss of loved ones. And so all that is part of it. But being able to wake up in our life again without feeling like we have to it's not about changing ourselves it's not about because change implies that there's something wrong with us but it's about really waking up all our potential and that's another reason nature is so helpful with that because everything in nature fully awakens to its potential and so there can be an effortlessness a a participation that's more organic and that's really what the book's about. And, you know, people won't use every particular practice in the book, but, you know, to explore it just through, through reading it and then realizing that, okay, this is what helps me wake up in my day-to-day life.
Here in the Northern Hemisphere, we are celebrating the season of summer. So naturally, our minds tend to drift to thoughts of taking a break from work and enjoying a vacation. Like me, many people are drawn to the energy of the ocean, and today I am going to introduce you to the luxury of a very special seashell massage. First, scrub your hands lightly with your sea salt. And when you finish that, rinse with cool water and towel dry. Take about a tablespoon of coconut oil and massage the oil into the palms and the backs of your hands. Rub each finger and thumb with your smooth seashell. Then wipe any excess oil onto your towel. Okay, now I'd like you to take your seashell and place it on your heart. Good. Now close your eyes and breathe deeply in and out in and out visualizing the waves of the ocean ebbing and flowing ebbing and flowing Imagine you are inside an open-air temple next to the Aegean Sea. You are lying on a small, comfortable bed, and a salty breeze is blowing between the beautiful white marble columns. Directly overhead is a ceiling made entirely of amethyst. As the sun streams through the ceiling, you are bathed in the brilliance of sacred violet light. Breathe in the violet light, and as you inhale, breathe in faith and gratitude. As you exhale, breathe out arrogance and negativity.
take your shell and move it to the top of your head. Imagining that you are massaging the violet light with your shell. Move the shell down to your forehead and massage it. Then down to your cheeks. Your chin. shoulders, your arms, and down throughout the rest of your body. until you have reached your feet. Sending faith and gratitude to every cell of your body. Now keep massaging until the music has ended and I will return after that.
You've seen the healing pool and the meditation garden. But did you know that Rightlighter Radio Spa has its own private beach? I think the ocean is the perfect backdrop to introduce my next guest, Michelle Hansen. Known to most people as Shelly, she is a seashell wisdom expert, teacher, and the author of two books, Ocean Oracle and Ocean Wisdom. Shelly lives in Georgia, and she teaches her Ocean Speak certification classes online at OceanOracle.com. The first time I conducted a personal reading with Shelly's Ocean Oracle cards, I was stunned because it was the most accurate self-reading I've ever had with an Oracle card deck. I've known Shelly for a number of years now, and I can vouch that she is as excited about the messages of the seashells today as the day I first met her. Shelley, one of the things, one of the many things that I find amazing about you is that, okay, you are considered a seashell ambassador and the shell with a voice, but you've never, ever lived near the ocean. I've loved shells all my life, and according to my parents, it started back when I was around four years old. My grandparents gifted their little granddaughter with some shells that they brought back from a beach vacation. And apparently my love of shells began right in that moment. I just wanted to know everything about these shells and the animals that made them. That's equally important to me. It became an obsession, and I have to say it remains to this day. You mentioned the shell with the voice. My name is Michelle, my birth name, but I've been called Shelly all my life. And I love my name because I get to be a shell. But I use it in service to my seashell partners as sort of an ambassador on their behalf. So when did you first discover that seashells can be used as a healing tool, that they can actually help us release old baggage and achieve wellness? Well, I've loved shells all my life, so I was gathering them as a personal collection. But when I was around 30... Someone visited my apartment and saw my shell collection, which by then I had over probably 200 shells from all over the world, and just casually mentioned that he heard of a shell reader. Well, that set off fireworks in my head because I never even knew shells could be used that way. And I wanted to go for a reading. So he promised that he'd get me the contact information. And a few weeks later, it just became obvious he was not going to be successful with that. But since he lit that spark in me, probably just to salvage something, he suggested I use my own shells. And we're on the phone and I'm saying to him, but everyone's going to know, you know, this shell is poisonous and this is the source of the color purple and this one is the principle of the submarine. And I'm going on and on and thinking this is common knowledge. But he assured me he didn't think most people would know all of those things. So I hung up the phone. And I was amazed at how easy it was to use my own shells because it only took me one week. I was looking for what's unique about each shell. That would be its contribution to the language. 
And that's not a very daunting task because it turns out they practically have nothing in common. So I had the language very quickly, but I was way too shy to tell anyone about it. This person returned to my apartment about a month later, asked if I'd done any readings, and I was excited to tell him there's language, but no, I'm not going to go up to anyone and tell him that the shells can be used for reading. So he asked for a reading, and I was extremely nervous, but this was sort of like the moment of truth. I might as well find out if there's anything to it. And he only picked two shells, but those two shells revealed like his soul's longing and crossroads and all the angst he had gone through so much in his life because the shells were basically saying if you're focused on religion you might find yourself stuck in a rut it turned out (laughs) he was an ex-seminary student he was studying to become a priest and he sort of ran into a wall there was some information that didn't resonate with him And that sent him on such a journey, searching his soul for how can I find my spirituality. And he had such an epiphany regarding this. And then he looked at me after all of this um, emotional processing and said, so, this doesn't work, huh? Like teasing me. And I've been hooked ever since. (laughs) Well, I think it's pretty safe to say that it's obvious. (laughs) Shelley... Can seashells heal a particular ailment by placing them, let's say, on a particular spot on the body, maybe similar to the way that we might use hot stones during a massage therapy session? Seashells can be used as energy tools. And in specific, I've discovered certain ones, and I'm sure there's many more for me yet to find out about, but um, there's one particular shell that can help people with any kind of breathing difficulties. It could be bronchitis or asthma or panic attacks if they make it difficult to catch your breath. And that shell actually to many people looks like lungs. And the meaning is feeling trapped, like you're stuck and you can't breathe. And what shells will do is if we deny our emotions, if we push them down, They don't disappear. They want our attention. They'll find another avenue. And sometimes that's through the physical. So if one is feeling a physical breathing issue, it could be reflecting emotionally you're feeling trapped in some way and you can't breathe. And the shell that works with that, I've had people, the shell is rather fragile, but you can use the card. When a shell's picture is on the card, it carries the energy. That's why I'm able to do readings using a deck. I don't have to use the actual shells. And I love that because then I can expose people to shells all over the world that they may not have access to otherwise. And you can literally just hold that card over your chest. Um, I've had people tuck it in their bra or you could wear it on a chain so it's over that area. And it helps to allow the breathing, to ease the breathing. And there are other shells, different parts of the body that would also respond in the same way for the issues located there. Wow, that is so interesting. You know, it sounds like we can use shells for hands-on healing, just as we might use crystals. I'm curious, though, do you believe that shells are sacred and that maybe we should ask their permission before we use them? Well, that is a fascinating question, and I would say... 
in my experience, shells are eager to assist us in navigating through life. And they've actually been working with us behind the scenes already. So I think that there is something subconsciously that there is a contract that already exists without consciously requesting it. Because so many times when someone tells me about their favorite shell and we speak about what its meaning would be, its message exactly matches up to the issue that they're struggling with in life. So it's as if the shells are already working with them and it's just not at a conscious level. And my goal is to make people aware that there's this entire kingdom so eager to work with us. And once we know, then it can be done in conscious partnership. In conscious partnership. Oh, I love that. I understand that there are some seashells which correspond to specific chakras. Is that right? Would you tell us about that? Sure. Oh, my gosh. There's quite a range there. Um, I would start with talking about the abalones because they're the first that sort of stepped up to teach me about the chakras. Someone asked me how to add shells to their energy work. I had no clue. Meditated, and abalones took me on a four-year journey after that. So the way it works is abalones, many people may use them for smudging. That's why I'm selecting abalone, because anyone working with energy and a connection to shells may be familiar with abalones. They have holes along the outer edge. And people put sage in them, and that's cleansing the energy and cleansing the negativity. But if we think about the animal that made that shell, it has a natural extract called paolin, that fights penicillin-resistant strains of strep and staph and typhus. So it's physically medicinal. It's an antibiotic, basically. So you have the animal contributing this antibiotic to work on us physically and the shell that's working on the emotional layers. So abalone is saying, I want to assist you in healing emotionally so it doesn't have to get to the physical. However, once you acknowledge the emotions, if you attach to them, the next lesson from abalone is that creates a scar because if you look at your abalone in the center where all the colors coalesce, that is called the muscle scar. That's where the animal attaches to its shell because the shell sits over the animal like a plate. It's not like a clam that would have two halves. It's a single shell. And for it to stay attached on the animal as it's wandering around, the animal has to have that muscle attachment which creates that scar. So if a scar forms from attachment, it's saying, okay, I want you to acknowledge the emotion so it doesn't become physical. But attaching creates a scar. It's a negative thing that if I acknowledge I'm mad at someone, I let it surface and express my anger that it's their fault, my life is messed up. If I attach to that, I will have ruined any chance of success in my own life because I need to show them how much they messed it up. And if I'm successful, they're off the hook. So abalone says, no, 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 you need to heal and release that. And that's what the holes are for. So now that we've established the holes are for releasing, the number of holes in an abalone becomes very significant because a specific abalone has a certain number of holes. And as the animal gets bigger and it grows its shell, it adds a new hole because they sit over the gills. That's where they're going to exchange their waste products. But as they form the newest hole, they plug up the earliest one so that they're back to the same number of holes. And what I noticed is with different species of abalones, 
you will find abalones with two, three, four, five, six, seven holes. So it's the need to heal, but at the level of a particular chakra. If you have a four-hole abalone, then you're working on heart chakra. Six, you're working on third eye. Five is throat. So that's how the abalones can connect with the chakras. That said, abalones, I always thought there were seven chakras, and abalones have more than seven holes. But there are more than the chakras connected to our physical body. There's the transpersonal realm as well. And so that's why it was this four-year journey. They kept teaching me more and more and more about energy and about the chakras and about how they mirror where we are in our own evolution, our spiritual evolution, because you used to only find abalones with three to seven holes. Now you find them with double digits, but you also find them with one or two holes. What that said to me is the lower chakras, which I used to think were inferior, just because we called them lower and upper, I thought the goal was to evolve to the upper chakras. Here's another lesson from abalone for me. All the chakras are of equal value because if the one and the two haven't shown up until we're in the 9, 10, and 11s, then we had to equally evolve to be in the transpersonal realm as we did for the first and second to operate in a healthy way on this planet. Well, this is really fascinating stuff. And isn't it true that shells can also help us with the rebirthing process? Yes. Um, in particular, the tiger cowrie shell. Cowries, if anyone is familiar with cowries, they look like someone polished them. They feel so smooth. And the reason they feel that way is because the animal wraps itself around the outside of its shell. Most live inside their shell. They're super smooth inside. That's how we get pearls because an oyster needs to make sure it stays smooth and it'll wrap even something as small as a grain of sand in the shell lining material, which is what makes the pearl, to smooth out that surface so they don't tear their bodies. Well, cowries wrap around the outside of their shell so they keep the outside very smooth so they don't tear their bodies. But the underside of a cowrie looks like a puckered slit. In ancient Rome... That reminded them of the genital tract of their sows, their female pigs. And they even called the shell porcelana shell. And porcelana shell comes from little pig. So that's the connection of porcelain to, to pigs as an aside. But that slit, instead of just being connected to pigs, eventually broadened and became connected to the womb and to the goddess. And in Japan, there's something called koyasugai, which is this shell but translated, koyasugai means peaceful child shell. Women in labor grip these cowries because they're sturdy. And because of the connection to the goddess in the womb, they believe it's going to facilitate the birth process. So cowries are about having faith in the birth. But it doesn't have to be physical birth. It can be the birth of anything in your life. So for a rebirthing, this is the womb to nurture you through that rebirthing process. Well, speaking of processes, I think one of the greatest challenges that we have on this planet is learning how to forgive. Is there a shell for that? Something we can use to help us to forgive? I had the most amazing experience with a shell regarding forgiveness. Because when I was talking about abalone, and I said the holes are where we release the waste, that release comes through forgiveness. And I thought the purpose of life on this planet was to heal and release, heal and release. There's always something new taking its place. And when you healed everything, 
that's when you might leave the planet. But it was all through forgiveness. Well, I got this shell. It had no muscle scar whatsoever. And it had 10 holes. And I thought, how can the animal make the shell if it didn't attach to it? Because the muscle scar is where it attaches. But what it said to me is this animal incarnated already understanding that there is nothing to forgive. The real lesson of forgiveness, as difficult as it is to achieve a place sometimes where we struggled and struggled and now we're willing to forgive, the shells are teaching that we can take it one more step if we look at the big picture because ten holes, that's the oneness, that's the big picture. And when you step back and look at the big picture, you start to see everything happened exactly as it was supposed to. It brought us to where we are now. And therefore, there is no guilt. There is no shame. There is nothing to feel that needs to be forgiven because everything happened as it was supposed to. So the real lesson of forgiveness is getting to a place where we understand there is nothing to forgive. But when I say this, I don't want to just be coming from the chakra connected to the ten-hold abalone because my words are going to sound cold. I know people have struggled, and I don't mean to demean that struggle in any way, shape, or form. But if we connect all the chakras, if they're all of equal value, then I can be coming from my heart when I say this. I can be speaking my truth when I say this because I went through lessons on this. And what I'm suggesting is, if you look at the story of Jesus and Judas, many people may feel that Judas betrayed Jesus. But in the big picture, Jesus would not have been able to fulfill his destiny had Judas not performed his role. Therefore, there was no betrayal. And that's what I'm saying, that when we see the big picture, the ten-hold abalone, there is nothing to forgive. God does not have to forgive because God doesn't condemn Nothing is being judged. Everything happened as it was supposed to. And that's the ultimate lesson of forgiveness that I learned through the shells. Mm, That's beautiful. Shelley, in all the years, all the years that you have worked with seashells, what is the one thing that has surprised you about them? The one thing? Every day there's something. Um, if I had to say in general terms, I would say that here is an entire kingdom. I mean, there's at least 100,000 species of shells out there in the world, maybe even more, depending on the source, all eager to assist us in navigating through life and being overlooked. These are master teachers. So what surprises me is how patient they are how truly wise they are, how eager they are to assist us. And Mother Nature just has so much to teach us if we're willing to listen. Wise words from the shell with a voice. And on that note, I'd like to give a big thank you to my inspiring guests, Julie Taller Johnson and Michelle Hansen, and to the performers of the beautiful music you heard here today, Guardian Mind Mix, Paul Andre, Chili Patches, and Neuromancer. I invite you to visit my WriteLighter virtual writing and wellness spa at WriteLighter.com, where you can browse the spa shop, register for writing workshops, read my blog, and book your virtual WriteLighter retreat. 
And don't forget to register for my online Summer Breeze Memoir Writing Weekend in August and to sign up for my mailing list to get your free MP3. Thank you for joining me at the Write Lighter Radio Spa. I hope you feel happier and healthier since you first arrived. And if you liked what you experienced here today, please be sure to tell your friends. Today's session has nearly ended, but I do have one last treatment for you to enjoy. A bonus pink meditation for self-love. Namaste. In your mind, see yourself standing inside your own secluded, private spa room. It is a bright and sunny space with pale pink walls and a skylight overhead. There are lots of lush green plants and a beautiful six-foot rose quartz fountain bubbling in a corner. You have a private terrace that opens to a beautiful pink garden. For now, this is your oasis. So look around the room. You see a large spa massage chair with a rose quartz pedicure bowl. Next to the chair is a tall table with a built-in sink, a pink face towel, and a pink jar and a pink bottle resting on a small golden tray. Along one wall is a bench with a stack of plush pink towels, a pair of pink slippers, and a fluffy pink bathrobe. In the corner opposite from the fountain is a full-length mirror 
Remove your clothing and go to the mirror and look at your reflection. If this feels too difficult and maybe even painful, I understand. Many years ago, when I first read Louise Hay's groundbreaking book, You Can Heal Your Life, I squirmed at the passage where she tells you to look into a mirror and say, I love you. I approve of myself. We all have insecurities about our bodies, but it is important during today's self-love experience to open your mind, open your heart, and appreciate the person you are, the person you are seeing now. Let go of your criticisms. Let go of negativity. Let go of your doubts. No judgment is allowed at this moment. Just observe. Now, as you look at your reflection in the mirror, say these affirmations aloud. I give myself the gift of love with no restrictions. I give myself the gift of forgiveness with no restrictions. I give myself the gift of compassion with no restrictions. I give myself the gift of patience with no restrictions. I give myself the gift of joy with no restrictions. Good. Now, go to the bench and put on the pink robe and the slippers. A perfect fit. <laughs>